Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bookshop Podcast. I'm Mandy Jackson-Beverly. Join me as I chat with guests about topics dear to my heart, the humanities and our environment. Welcome to the third and final interview regarding the Aramont Library at the Library of Congress. On February 11, 2021, the Library of Congress announced they had received a private donation known as the Aramont Library. The Aramont Library contains 1,700 volumes comprised of literary first editions, illustrated books, exhibition bindings, finely bound author collections, and books by some of the most influential artists of the 19th and 20th centuries. It also includes rich examples from the Livre d'Artiste movement of the 20th century. In Part 1, Episode 34, I interviewed Gordon Hollis, owner of Golden Legend Inc. and curator of the Aramont Library. In Part 2, Episode 36, I interviewed Stephanie Stillo, curator, Lessing J. Rosenwald Collection and Aramont Library at the Rare Books Division at the Library of Congress. In today's episode... I interview the collector's daughter who procured the Aramont Library within the Library of Congress. Thank you for being a guest on the show and welcome. Hi, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Your father worked with Gordon Hollis, curator of the collection, for over 40 years. Together, they built an incredible collection of 1,700 volumes of literary first editions, illustrated books, and a collection of livres d'artiste by some of the most important artists of the 20th century. What is your earliest memory of your father's love of books? I'm the youngest of four, and so I came into the world when my father was 40. And so I, the earlier times, I really don't recall. But what I know is that the main center of our house was this beautiful library that was his treasure. He spent a lot of time in it. It had the whole Encyclopedia Britannica. It had a lot of well-read books. It was clearly not a show library. You know, He knew where all the books were. He knew what each book was. And weekly, he would get stacks of books mailed from the United States that he would go through. Um, on his bedside, there were a stack of books. In his bedroom, there were books. It was just books, books, books. You know, he he taught me how to read when I was young and, and struggling with what I now know is dyslexia, but he was just patient and in a belief in that books were going to open up the world for me. And uh, later on, when I was in school, if I had questions, he would just point me to the library and point to the books and have me investigate life through books. And, and so that gave me also a love and appreciation for books. So I think it was just part of life. Uh, it was an important part of life. When and how did you and your father know it was time to let the collection go? And was this a difficult decision? Yes, I think uh, when you're a collector, and my father started collecting this when I was in, in high school and I was in boarding school, so I don't have much recollection of the early times. But when I was in college, and he involved Gordon Hollis and started the Golden Legend Bookstore. And, and that's when the whole rare book collection started. You know, I, I would once in a while come to dinners and, and Gordon would be there and we'd interact a, a little bit. 
but I think it came out of his love for books and then an appreciation for art as well. Um, he also loved art and collecting art. So it was a merger of how to do that. So when I think when something is so personal, I think it's very hard to, to know when you're actually going to donate it. But my father was approaching 92 years of age, and we were talking about a lot of his wishes, and the book collection was one of those. So because I knew it was so special and it was his pride and joy, it was, it was really important that we worked on a solution that he would be proud of. And it was important for me to do it while he was alive so that it would be a joint venture between him and I figuring out what, what would happen with these books. I knew he had previously had conversations with my brother about the collection and possible donations to universities. And what actually prompted more of my father's willingness to part with the collection life was that um, my brother died in an airplane accident in 2017. He flew vintage aircrafts and collected vintage aircrafts. He bequests two original aircraft to the Smithsonian Museum. And that donation went so well and so beautifully. And it, it was such a source of pride for everybody that I think out of tragedy, my father turned it into something positive for the family and started thinking that maybe he could do something similar with the book collection. And what part have you played in protecting the Aramont Library and guiding your father's decision to donate the collection to the Library of Congress? Um, he, you know, I, I think my father and I, we have a lot of things in common. I think I'm very much like him, but we approached it pretty rational um, in terms of establishing what criteria needed to be met for him to feel good about where the collection was going. Initially, we just talked about the collection staying together and intact, even though there's the first editions, there's the Livre d'Artist, and then there's the bindings. And what we were seeing is that some people would say, well, we're all just interested in the bindings or just in the Livre d'Artist. And, and, and he really wanted the collection to stay together. And I think that was essential for both of us. And then we were preserving these books beautifully. You know, we had a, Angie, a woman that would come and take care of the books on a weekly basis and pull them out and make sure that they were in good condition. So the other criteria is what institution could keep that level of preservation with these rare books. And thirdly, it was how can scholars access these books? Um, because I think I think they're a gem and in private hands, you know, it's very limited access for people. So I think out of a belief that perhaps it's time for art to be used by more people than just a collector, um, we started looking at when and how to donate that. And when you realized the time had come to donate the collection, did you reach out to Gordon Hollis for advice? And how did you decide to donate the collection to the Library of Congress? Yes, once we had the criteria defined, I, you know, I was a, a little bit at a loss. Uh, I've been involved in higher education for a while, and I knew that universities, you know, sometimes get collections as donations and, and they don't always know what to do with it. And so they sit in vaults and they're not always displayed or parts of it are displayed that they want to display and not others. So I was already a little apprehensive about donating to, to higher ed or universities, but I also didn't know if universities, there were specific universities that had book collections already. And so, you know, Gordon is just, an incredible fountain of knowledge <laughs> in, in the world of books. And as 
I talked to my father and as I created this collection together, we both thought it would be very fitting for him to help us transition the collection into its next stage. It was important for both of us that Gordon be content with where it was going. Um, In my first conversations with Gordon, I, I gave him the criteria. He explored several options. There were some universities that were interested in books and had book collections. Um, and we were focusing on that when uh, Gordon talked to Mark Diminution from the Library of Congress. And then he called me and he goes, this might not be at all what you want. But I've got to tell you that the Library of Congress is a possibility and they they have a similar collection that this would complement. And I primarily talked to Mark um, and he expressed a lot of interest. And I was thrilled for many reasons with that idea. You know, first of all, it would be down the street from my brother's airplanes, part of uh, the National Museum, uh, a public museum. But I, I didn't want my personal feelings about what art or collection should go to to interfere with my dad. So we had preliminary conversation with the Library of Congress and they said, yes, we'd be interested in keeping the collection as a whole. We're interested in every part of it. Um, so at that point, I approached my dad. I said, yeah, yeah I know. I think this, this solution is the one that might fit all the criteria for several reasons. And he said, well, I'm open to it. And then Gordon and I flew to D.C. and we spent the most wonderful morning at the Library of Congress. I, I had actually never been. The building is fantastic. The amount of kids and people going through the the Library of Congress was enlightening to see as opposed to a university that is a very close circle of people. I met Stephanie and Mark, which I I thought were just brilliant people who understood and loved books. And then they showed me where they store the books and it was incredibly well-preserved, secure. And, And finally, they took me to this room that was the preservation room. And there's all these people that knew how to preserve books, <laughs> preserving old books. And I'm like, well, there's no university institution that could match that level of care. And honestly, also public resources to be able to exhibit the books and, and have both scholars and the public appreciate the books. So then I, I came back and presented the option to my father, uh, presented the advantages and disadvantages. And he thought it was a good match like I did. And I I was just thrilled by the idea of (laughs) the book sitting in the same building with Thomas Jefferson's library and also the original Captain America comic book, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So it's just like the gamut of books in in America. And it, it was just very, very thrilling. And it's wonderful to see Stephanie Stillow's excitement and enthusiasm about the collection. Her knowledge of the history of books has the ability to ignite curiosity, a definite asset to the educational side of the Library of Congress. She's a wonderful ambassador for the Aramont Library. She is. I, I think Mark and Stephanie make the rare book collection shine at the Library of Congress, you know. Their passion is evident. Their knowledge is fantastic. And that, that was also very comforting, is, is to know that people really would care for these books. When the day arrived for the Aramont Library to be packed and shipped, were you there? Was your father there? My father decided not to show up, but <laughs> I did. I was there and I greeted Stephanie and met the people packing it and, and watched them pack it for a little bit. And And then I just decided it was time to look at it from an intellectual point of view and (laughs) let them do their work. Yes, cutting ties and letting go can be an emotional experience. Exactly. 
The Aramont Foundation donated a $1 million endowment to the Library of Congress to fund virtual public programming. Stephanie explained that this donation's value goes beyond obvious financial benefit. She stressed that the kindness of such a gift from the Aramont Foundation was accepted with deep gratitude and that donations of this size have been in decline. And this donation allows the Library of Congress to bring the Aramont Library to the public on a virtual platform. Was this donation something the Foundation thought of before visiting Stephanie and Mark at the Library of Congress? Or once you were there, did you realize the Aramont Library's possibility to reach a larger audience? I think it's a combination of both. Um, It's not uncommon when you donate collections to also think about donating endowments to either preserve the collection if the place that you're donating to does not have the resources to do that or for programs and things like that. So I think it was in the back of our mind that that might be something to consider. But then when I actually walked into the Library of Congress and saw what they do and the programs that they have, and, and you know, as a public institution with limited or stressful resources, I, I, I was just amazed by what they could do. So then I approached my fellow trustees at the foundation and expressed that I thought a gift would be good. I thought that the idea of a doing the virtual programming, and this is pre-COVID, <laughs> would would be a, a way to reach a larger audience um, beyond what can go to DC and, and look at the books. So my fellow trustees agreed that that was an appropriate gift to a good place. And I knew that Stephanie would make the best use of it. And I'm grateful too, because it means I get to see it online virtually at some stage in the near future. What are your fondest memories of your father speaking about the Aramont Library? So one of my fondest memories is actually when we were already thinking about the donation and I was looking at places and I I suggested to him that perhaps as a family, we should all get together and bring Gordon in and have Angie who, who took care of the books and open up the books to now the third generation, which are all adults in their 20s, you know, that that didn't see the collection being built and have an opportunity for them to experience the books. And, and, and we did that. We had a wonderful lunch. And then Gordon talked about the books and Angie showed us the books. And my father is, is a man of very few words, uh, but he actually spoke of his love for the collection and the pride in his face showed he's not a, a very prideful or emotional man. So that's one of the rare occasions in my life that I have seen him get emotional and passionate and, and happy to see his family enjoying the books and, and to know that they would go to a very good place. So that was very, very rewarding for, for me and, and a very good memory to close the, the circle of the collection. Did your father have a favorite book from the collection? No, he was always very careful, um, just like he would never say who his favorite child was. <laughs> uh, he, he could not talk about the, the books in, in that way either. I think just from the intellectual man that I know, I, he was very proud of one of the original editions of uh, Ulysses by James Joyce, which is an incredibly dense, difficult book. Uh, and then he was one of the few men that I think got through it and probably understood it. <laughs> and and so 
I actually remember when he got that book and I think I was in, in college and I said, really? And, and you've read it? And he goes several times and now I get to read the first edition. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that defines you. <laughs> so I, I, I remember that one in, in particular very fondly. When I think of the Library of Congress, I envision a pinnacle of diversity. The library houses books on multiple subjects, fiction and nonfiction. It represents multiple languages, books written by immigrants, and books full of American history. I see the Library of Congress as a beacon of the United States of America. What are your thoughts? Yes, it absolutely is. You know, I think it's a gem of the United States. Um, I had no idea really what an amazing place it was, the diversity of the books. And when I went in there, they had a whole comic book display. And as I sat there, I was thinking, wow, you know, the third generation is on their 20s and my son is interested in comic books. He would find something interesting here. And then you start looking at the map room and and, and I started thinking, well, this other grandchild would love this part. And <laughs> and you start realizing that it's, it's a place that draws everybody in which is kind of the way I think and my family thinks of the United States. You know, we we all came here to study. We fell in love with the country. The country welcomed us. And I feel that my brother and I know my father and I are all very grateful for having been welcomed to the richness in the, the cultural richness of this country. And so it felt very good to give back to a country mm -hmm. that has given us a home. Listening to your words just completely took me back to the day when I received my American citizenship. I looked around the room at the diverse crowd, all like me becoming a citizen, all waving our flags. And it all kind of comes back to institutions like the Library of Congress. They are built for the American people. Yes, I remember very well when I got my citizenship too. And um, I watched Caitlyn Jenner on the screen and waved on my flags. And I recalled watching her win the Olympics in 1976. And this was, of course, years later in the early 90s. And they were still showing her as a prideful part of being American. Um, and at the time I happened to know her, she was a friend of my then husband. So it was an interesting way of circling and participating in the American dream and everything that America encompasses, good athletes, amazing writers, amazing creative people, uh, amazing engineers, uh, just the whole gamut of what America is and, and how it welcomes people. During my conversations with Gordon Hollis, I was touched by the bond of friendship he had with your father and their devotion to the Aramont Library. I asked Gordon, well, who taught who? And he answered, we both kind of taught each other. When they first met, Gordon was selling books for 95 cents. And 40 years later, the two men created an incredible collection of 1,700 volumes of rare books and first editions. One can't help consider the trust involved for the two men to work together and be friends for 40 years. Yes, I, I think that is a unique quality of my father. You know, as devoted as he was to books, he was devoted to a few group of people. He was not an incredibly social human being, but when he found a common bond with somebody, it was a bond for life. And uh, I think that's what happened with Gordon. You know, they, they were able to transition through closing the bookshop and maintain their friendship. And, and just they kept evolving together with each other. It was so nice for me to be able to work with Gordon and do that generational transition, but keep him involved with with the Library of Congress and the collection going forward. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity of putting this series of interviews together. The stories you've shared about your father and his love of books gives the Aramont Library a story of its own. And also thank you to the Aramont Foundation for their generous donation to the Library of Congress, which will enable the general public to view the Aramont Library virtually. Thank you. We're very glad to share it with everybody. And I hope everybody takes an opportunity to go check it out.